Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. We are now in the third week of Advent, and Advent means arrival of Jesus. We're kind of operating in reverse chronology. We started off celebrating the future Advent, that time when Jesus will return and make all things new. And today we're gonna celebrate present Advent, what it means for Christ to be with us now as the church. And then next week we'll move towards past Advent, the time when Jesus first arrived as Messiah in Bethlehem so many years ago. So I really love, the Christians use this language about the kingdom, right? That we're in the kingdom that is here and not yet. When Jesus came, he ushered in the kingdom of God for the first time. And then later said, there will come a time when he would return and that would be the future kingdom where that is a permanent eternal kingdom when all things are made right, new heaven and new earth. Colleen Ward made this beautiful art for us and I'm afraid she's not here today so she can't explain it but I'm gonna try to do it justice. If you haven't had a chance, come and just stand in front of it for a few minutes. This is Advent inspired art and her whole um, inspiration was the whispers throughout scripture that said a Messiah was coming and there was this moment, this would be past Advent, when Jesus came, when, when the Messiah came and arrived here on earth. And we're in sort of this center area, right? This is the present Advent with some valleys and some peaks and this glistering, glittering gold that comes in are these like packets of presents, these in-breaking moments that come and it's moving towards something that she hints at here but would go right off the canvas, this eternal kingdom yet to come. This is what we celebrate today in the center of this painting is what it looks like to be in the here and not yet or in between the advents. In our lectionary reading today, that's what Joy just read for us, we hear John the Baptist crying out, get ready, he's coming. The Messiah that's been promised for so long is coming, it's going to happen, it's happening now. He was the messenger sent ahead of Jesus's first ministry here on earth to announce that this was coming, that this was about to happen. And listen, all four gospels record John's role and John's message. This guy was like a clear one theme message guy. Everybody recorded the same thing. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. He said the same thing. All the gospels knew it and he had a very clear role in the precursor to Jesus's ministry to be this messenger. So Luke 3.3, he, John, went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance. In other words, uh, uh, for the forgiveness of sins, a baptism of repentance, meaning like, be made clean from your sins. And he says in verse four, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. This was like a one message preacher or prophet. And yet with this one message that everybody recorded the same, repent, repent, the Messiah is coming. Still the crowds asked three times in this passage, what should we do? I kind of feel like as a preacher, if I were John, I would kind of want to say, I literally just told you. I literally have been saying the same thing again and again. I told you what to do. But John doesn't say that. He says, repent, prepare, make paths straight, it's time. He keeps repeating this. Repent means turn towards God. Whatever path you're on, notice, oops, I'm on the wrong path. Turn to the God path and go that way. That's what repenting means. 
And the Jewish people that John was talking to, they knew this call to repent. This was all over the Old Testament, their holy scriptures. The prophets especially, like John and others way before him, they served as God's messengers again and again with this message. See where you've strayed and turn back to the God path. That's what we are calling them to do again and again. It's all over scripture. So I just picked two of my personal favorites of examples of this from the prophets. Ezekiel in 1830 says this, therefore you Israelites, the people of God, I will judge each of you according to your own ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent, turn away from your offenses, then sin will not be your downfall. This was the theme, right? You had to notice that something was going awry and admit it so you could turn And then whatever that sin was, is not going to be your downfall. That's how the system worked. And a personal convicting one for me, Isaiah 30, 15. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But she would have none of it. In other words, God is saying this, this call to repent that sometimes does sound harsh That's where you find rest and strength. It's the way that this is supposed to work. Don't turn away from the system of repentance. And the Jews knew this because the call to repent, while it sometimes was issued in a way that would be, I would say harsh, but really that just means convicting, right? Like you notice, like, yes, something's gone off. The call to repent was attached to a promise from God. Every time it turned, it meant forgiveness, Grace, it represented the very love of God that this call to repent was linked to forgiveness. The Jews knew this call from the prophets and John is speaking a known language to them. For the first time in 400 quiet years, a prophet came and said, repent, the kingdom of God is near and you get forgiveness when you repent. And in response, the crowd again asks, what do we do? I was thinking about that a lot this week, that question. Yeah, but, but what do we do? What are we supposed to do while we're in the waiting between advents, while we're in the center of the canvas? But, yeah, but what do we do here? Yes, repent, but for many of us, like we're, we're here in church. We've decided to turn t- towards God, even if we have to do it again and again and again when we mess up. But like, we're here, we're in church, God. We're trying to be faithful. We've made that choice, but like, what do we do? in the here and the not yet, in the waiting. I've asked this of God a lot the last couple of years, you guys. I wanna be faithful. We wanna be faithful. We wanna be faithful as a community. We wanna turn to you again and again, yes, but like what do we do in this time, in this place where you've put us? What does it look like to be faithful in action here and now? I found myself going back to the moment in history, if I'm using this as as a timeline, when the very, the, the very start of the present advent, does that make sense? Like Jesus's earthly ministry, the past advent had happened and they were still standing with the shadow of the cross lurking close by, but Jesus had resurrected. Resurrection Sunday had happened. And when Jesus came back, everything was different than they thought. Suddenly we've issued, issued in this new way of being, right? Like Messiah has come, the Messiah has been resurrected and the Messiah is about to go and ascend to be with the Father. And we're just starting on day one of what we now call present advent. And Jesus instructed his followers on what to do in each gospel. 
We look through the beach quickly here. Matthew says, I'm paraphrasing, go make disciples. I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. That's what he said to do. And by the way, go doesn't mean like you need to leave and go to a far off place to do this. It's more like the verb tense, which I don't remember what it's called, means more like as you go, as you're doing the going about your day thing, whether it's going to Uzbekistan or Mariano, it's like as you go, do this thing, make disciples. Like I'm always with you. In Mark, Jesus says, go into the world, preach the gospel. This is the, what should we do as recorded in Luke Acts. Remember that gospel goes straight into a second part, which is Acts, which we spent a long time in. And so when you take the two, their crossover moment together, it's basically Jesus saying, wait for the Holy Spirit. The one I promised will come and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. So all of these, in the beginning of present Advent, Jesus says what to do to the faithful people. This is the activity of the in-between Advents. Let me return to John for just a moment. John heralds the reminder that was echoed all throughout the Old Testament as we established. Repent, turn back. And when I think about this call to repent, I often think of um, salvation. I mean, it was right here, right? Uh, In repentance and rest is your salvation from that Isaiah passage, right? I think of salvation, and I sometimes can get focused on, you know, my salvation, your salvation, and your salvation, and that's really important, and it's true, absolutely. But look at what it is that John says with each of these questions, with what to do upon returning to the God path. They're really tangible actions. They're really specific examples. So the crowd asks, what should we do? John says, share your your coat And share your food. In other words, level out the haves and the have-nots. Do something about it. The tax collectors ask, and he says, don't charge more than you should. He tells the soldiers, don't extort money or falsely accuse others. To both of these groups, basically, don't exploit the power that you have over those under your care. Don't exploit that power in tangible ways. So the outcome, what do we do with our repentance, impacts other people. It's not about individual alone. That's a part of it. But this is impacting communities. This is impacting relationships with others. This fruit of repentance that naturally comes out of a repentant posture, getting onto God's path, is tied with this natural fruit that impacts other people. Verse 8, John says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So let's talk for a minute about what this means, this producing fruit, because it's a metaphor we see through scripture. Uh, Jesus in Matthew, as recorded in Matthew 7, starting in 15, says this. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I hear a very similar theme in the passage that Joy read. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So let's talk about this for a minute. The what should we do includes bearing fruit that is in keeping with repentance. So once you repent, you're going to bear repentant-looking fruit. It's a sloppy word, but that's what's going to naturally produce from a life of repentance. That natural repentance and good fruit is is knit together. Kind of like loving God and loving others. You, you You can't separate those. 
Those things go together. A love of God naturally knits you to have a heart to love others. It's knit and it can't be torn apart. It's similar to throughout the New Testament. There's so much language. Hang out in Romans for a little bit with Paul and you'll see it. I'm going to take a little bit from James because he's like snippy in how he says things, so it's shorter. He talks a lot about faith in action, faith in works, right, in deeds. Like wait, there's faith, yes, and the actions that come out of it. So you won't be saved by your actions, but you can't separate the two. James 2.18, someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds, or like good works, right? Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. What is basically being said here is that uh, you, you can't, you can't unknit repentance and repentant looking fruit, loving God, loving others, faith and actions, these things, they, they're, they're together in the life of the believer. I was reading a commentary, Justo uh, Gonzalez and Zeta Mal, Maldonado Perez. I don't want to skip that middle name, sorry. Say it just so simply. They say, Christian hope produces in us not only trust and firmness in the faith, but also just a different way of living. You can't, you can't not have these things knit together. It is really important that we understand that in a conversation answering the question of, yeah, but what do we do? Because we don't want this question to get mistaken in the whole world of a legalistic, do these things to be saved. We are saved by grace alone, Ephesians 2. That's it. But some stuff is going to naturally be produced in a life, Galatians 5, that is living in keeping with the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. That's these lives living, bearing fruit of repentance will naturally come to have an outpouring in the here and not yet. And that's what this question gets back to. The question like John's crowd. Okay, the kingdom's near. The Messiah's coming. What do we do in the waiting? I beg your forgiveness for the long quote, but she just says it so perfectly. I tried to tie it down and I realized I was literally just going to be plagiarizing and twisting a few words and that's cheating. So forgive me, but here we go. Sarah Lancaster says this, we wait in hope for what is yet to come. Paul describes waiting with patience. The word translated patience doesn't mean simply waiting without irritation or complaint, which is sometimes as far as I can get when I'm trying to practice patience. It's a good start, but that's not what the word means. The word really suggests endurance, steadfastness, perseverance, because the word means more than just the attitude we adopt while waiting. It opens the possibility of thinking about the time of waiting, which is where we are now, as a time of activity, not passivity. The time between the already and not yet is a time in which the children of God may act, showing the world that what God has done for us and giving the world a reason to hope for more. We do not have to settle for the brokenness and injustice that we see, but we may reveal through our actions the alternative way of being in the world that God has already made possible. That's what that you know, when we look at, at, at faith and action, that's where we can avoid getting legalistic. Like, here's what I have to do, not to earn salvation, but here's the fruit that my life will bear when I'm living as somebody who is uh, postured towards repentance, just meaning like this, this decision for the God way, the God path. Present Advent is the time in our world's history when the presence or the arrival of Jesus is here now through the church. That's us. That's Christ's bride. This is how Jesus is present in our world. So now what do we do? You may have noticed when I went through the other gospels and gave that first call of Jesus with the what do we do now? We're going to be in this new 
present Advent time and you're going to ascend and you're going to come back, but not yet. Like, what do we do? When I said what the gospel accounts all recorded, I was giving the three you may have noticed that gave like the corporate, everybody, like to the disciples, he said, what do we do? John, always a little bit more of the poet, he records an incredibly personalized account. Still an account of what do we do, but it's a conversation between Jesus and Peter. You may remember that Peter is a bit impetuous. He was the one who was always speaking before thinking. I love Peter. I tend to do the same thing. I'm not comparing myself with Peter, but I do talk before I think. Peter says, I will follow you anywhere. Absolutely. And Jesus is like, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny three times that you even know me. Peter says, no way. Not going to happen. Of course it happens. It's true. He's denied his friend, and now he's seen that his friend has gone to the cross. His Savior has gone to the cross, and he thinks that that's it. He's not going to have time or an opportunity to reconcile this grievous betrayal that he has done to his friend. But lo and behold, Easter comes, resurrection morning, Jesus returns, and in this intimate conversation between Jesus and Peter, some call this the reinstatement because Jesus asks three times, perhaps, to reinforce for each of the three times that Peter uh, denied knowing him? Maybe, maybe just to really reinforce it. You know when you have to tell someone multiple times to really reinforce? Whichever the reason, the conversation goes something like this. Jesus says, walking on the shore, just the two of them, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Do you love me? Peter says, yes. Take care of my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. They're knit together. You see those? Do you love? Feed. Care for. You can't can't undo these. This is the way that the love for me is manifested in the world. It's knit, and it can't be broken apart. We've been blessed, as the passage today hinted at, to be grafted into the Abraham promise, the people of God. You can't just be in the promise alone and count on that. Uh, John was saying, like, you need to repent. Well, we've been knit into that Abraham promise. Do you remember what that promise was? God says to Abraham, I will bless you, and through you, I'll bless all the nations, everybody. We get to be a part of that knit-in plan because we're how God is present here and now. So looking at the question, what do we do now? Corporately, be the presence of God to the world. Share the good news. That's what Matthew, Mark, Luke all say that Jesus said to the disciples, do this thing. Be the good news where you are. Share it. But the story as recorded in John about Peter reminds us that there's also something very personal. That was the conversation to Peter, who would in fact go on to be the first one to preach the good news when Pentecost came. Peter was indeed the rock upon, his confession was the rock upon which Jesus would build his church, right? So that was Peter's call, and Jesus was preparing him for it. But what I'm trying to say is that we know that the call for what do we do gets very personalized. John personalized it to the tax collectors, to the soldiers. Let me give you specific examples for you in the position you're at today on what that might look like to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. John gave examples to the crowd specific to them, And Jesus talked to Peter in a very specific way. So if we back up into John's gospel a little bit further, we remember that this, this intimate discourse that Jesus has with the disciples when they're going from the Last Supper to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he starts talking about 
this Holy Spirit who would come. The Holy Spirit who would be the one to remind the disciples of the words that Jesus had said. Pray with persistence. Love your enemies. The Holy Spirit prompts those reminders to the disciples, right? It's the Holy Spirit is how God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will make our home in you, Jesus says. We will be with you because the Holy Spirit will be in you. That's how we're going to make our home in you. The Holy Spirit will guide you in the will of the Father. That's why there's no checklist for what should we do. Because Jesus is saying, we're not giving you a checklist. We're creating a way for relationship through the Holy Spirit that's incredibly personal. And we can talk with you, through you, because of the Holy Spirit on what should we do right here and now. So what does that look like? For us now, it looks like keeping our eyes and ears open to God's prompting exactly where we are and how to live into our blessing identity. To be blessed and to bless others with actual human encounters. And maybe that looks like bringing a gift or giving up a coat or sharing your dinner table with somebody struggling with loneliness or giving up your spot in line for the mom with the screaming kid or giving your platform to somebody whose voice has historically been silenced. You know what it looks like. I know what it looks like. I think we know what to do. I think that often we fail to acknowledge that that has kingdom impact. That has pockets of presence. That's God's presence in the world today when we say yes to those promptings on what should we do. That's the kingdom inbreaking that can happen now because it just may be that that person needs an encounter with God and God's love is made manifest and tangible through you in the littlest moments and in big moments too. Sam found all these wonderful poems that we've been reading through Advent and I picked through which one just lit me up for which weeks. He was gracious enough to let me pick. And the line from today's poem that really got me for present Advent is this. Come to us now and find in us your throne. Jesus right now is with the Father, enthroned as our King and High Priest. I want Jesus to look at us as a community, as individuals, and find his throne right here. That just means people who are willing to say yes and allow things to be knit together. You'll have to forgive me um, the metaphor. It was a lot on my heart this week, this knitting, right? So I've been a knitter for years, and this week I started knitting Gigi's college blanket. I've been waiting to do it because it brings up all kinds of mom baggage for me, but I finally was like, I'm strong enough. I can start the college blanket. And I started it this week, and I didn't like it. When you knit something together, the first version, it was too, too big of holes. She didn't want her little toes to pop through it. And I could tear that out, no problem, right away. You just pull, the littlest pull, and the whole thing unravels. I've had projects that I've gotten far into the knitting, and I realize I made a mistake, and I have to backtrack quite a ways. When we're talking about this path of repentance, this willingness to say, I pick the God path. Holy Spirit, I am ready to follow where you lead me. There's going to be times where we get a little ways and we're like, oops. There's times that we miss and it can unravel. It's true. But I also have knit whole big blankets before. And by the time you're done, by the time you've matured in walking and still saying every time you need to tear back, okay, but I'm getting back on the God path. 
when you've matured in that project, you guys, I can take her baby blanket and yank on it and it's not unraveling anywhere. And that's the goal, right? That we could be people who could just keep on getting on that God path every time we've messed up and can say yes to repentance and allow the Holy Spirit to bear fruit in us that would look like repentance-looking people. An apple tree can't help to bear fruit that looks an awful lot like an apple. And Jesus' people cannot help but to look an awful lot like Jesus if we allow the Holy Spirit to do that work in us. Please posture yourself for prayer. I'm I'm just uh, taking the words of Paul. For this reason, for the reason of all of God's plan, every part of God's plan that has to do with repentance and forgiveness and grace, for all of this, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Oh God, we thank you so much that this is your plan. Help us to be people who say yes and amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.